0: Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who
1: are Kenyatta and Jack?
2: We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth.
3: And we're here to save it, one podcast at a time.
2: Hello, listening friends. Thank you for joining us once again for another explosive episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. It is I, Kenyatta, always here, as usual. And with me, again, 1,200 miles to the west, is Jack. But today we have the pleasure of one of our previous guests joining us again, Mr. Tim Bird. And we have got something special for you guys today. So hang on. Yes. Gentlemen, gentlemen, introduce yourselves, say hi to everybody.
0: Hello, everybody. I'm Jack, as you know. Hello, everybody. I'm Tim Bird Music, as you may know now. (laughs) this is the last one you should know.
2: Yes. if you you didn't, shame on you. Shame. 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 Anyway, thanks everybody for joining us today. And like I said, we have something special going on. Um, We are going to delve into a very interesting topic today and I'm not going to ruin it, but hold on because it's a little bit of an extended journey. And on top of our topic, we're going to do something we have not done before. It's a little bit of movie watching and recapping, so get ready. It's going to be great, because I told you it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
3: do it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, today, because it is a special presentation, we are not going to have our typical WTFs, but, but we're hoping... Everybody will be just fine with that. And today, we are going to talk about a specific type of film that started in the early 1970s that was called exploitation Films. It is obviously an ethic sh- subgenre of sort of exploitation films, but obviously it's combining two words. And the tr- phrase was coined in August of 1972 by Junius Griffin. Who was then president of the Beverly Hills Hollywood NAACP branch? And I, I understand sort of when you look at how films got made, you know, back in the day, the studio system was incredibly different. In the '50s, '60s, actors were tended to be signed to studios, and they only made movies for those studios, as was typical back in those days. A lot of black filmmakers had trouble finding funding for their movies mm-hmm. and so a movie would be made for that sort of price range you know a normal hollywood budget was say a million dollars but on the exploitation films they could only raise say five hundred thousand dollars well that difference in money makes a big difference when you're filming on how many times you can record a scene Yep. so in the million dollar movie, you record the scene 10 times because the issue of film isn't a you know, isn't a big deal. But for 500,000, you may get two or three takes. And so sometimes they had to go with the take that had the least amount of like maybe a background error, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that.
0: Yeah.
3: And um there is quite a there were quite a bit of movies that were made and actually um some films that are considered black exploitation were even made into the 1990s, and this isn't including like remakes of like Shaft, because you know um, Samuel L. Jackson did the Shaft in '99, and then there was three years ago, sort of the the third Shaft. So, anyway, guys, what, what are your thoughts on uh, on black exploitation films before we uh, sort of dive into it a little deeper?
2: hi and and just just reading up on it when you first first suggested this Jack of course I had known about them before then but I did a little deeper reading into it and it was interesting I think the conflicting opinions at the time um on what they represented because and you touched on it just a little bit it was the first opportunity that black creatives had to actually helm their own pictures and be able to call the shots because oftentimes you have black directors behind the camera, you have black screenwriters, you had scriptwriters, you have black crew on a lot of these. And then of course, the, the starring roles were black actors as opposed to being, you know, sidekicks or backups or supporting cast. And they got to dictate finally what kind of stories they wanted to be told. The controversy, I think, started coming in with the kind of stories that were being told because a lot of these movies dealt with criminality and portraying those Black actors in some kind of criminal enterprise, unfortunately. And those those kinds of movies actually, and I'm thinking one in particular was Superfly. It was huge. And um, Ron O'Neill played the uh, main protagonist of, uh, Priest. He was a pimp <laughs> and a drug dealer. But the uh, the fact that he was in a position of power, you know, no matter how he came about having that power, the fact that he was a character that was in a in position of power as opposed to how Blacks were regularly seen before that time was a big deal in the community. And the criticisms came in that, okay, great, he's in a position of power, but why does he have to be, you know, a criminal? Why does he have to? be in this line of business that he's in and so that was there was two camps really when you think when when it came to talking about these movies at the time that they were coming out in the 70s one camp appreciated the fact that blacks had the power to be able to cast and run and tell the stories they wanted to tell the others and understandably so had a problem with how black people were being depicted and it was unfortunately Um, a trope of blaxploitation films that a lot of characters were quote-unquote stereotypically depicted so
3: yes yes i i read that too as i was doing research and i'm going to if everybody's okay with this play the trailer for superfly since you just uh mentioned it
2: dear heavens yes
3: (laughs) (laughs) all right
1: This dude is bad, and he ain't just fly, he's super fly, yeah, super fly, when it comes to women, they come to him, but it's still not enough, he wants a big score, a million in cash, yeah, the big one. This is a chance, and I want to take it, now, before I have to kill somebody before somebody ices me. What kind of money are we talking about? I'd you. I want his ass out working. now then I took all this chance for nothing and I go back to being nothing work some jive job, job for chump change day after day if that's all I'm supposed to do then they are gonna have to kill me because that ain't enough ain't I clean bad machine super cool super mean dealing good for the man super fly here I stand secret stash heavy bread baddest bitches in the bed I'm your pusher man hey! fly harlem dude beat the system he's got a plan to stick it to the man he's super hood super high super dude super fly
2: All right, <laughs> nice. It was. And I, I gotta say that the soundtrack The Superfly, I wanna say, I think it was Grammy nominated. Um, was. With, yeah, done by the late, great Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And if you had never listened to that soundtrack, uh, listening friends, you are in for a treat. It has some of the best music ever. Yeah. Period. So. It's funny because
0: Curtis Mayfield sounds like, well, Pharrell sounds like Curtis Mayfield, but anyway, yeah. that's another story. Yeah,
2: I, yeah, okay. No, yeah. that
0: trailer actually—if um, you really listen to the dialogue—it tells the story of what go what's really going on. Anyway, it especially speaks to what people are talking about hip hop. Yep. You know, everything that they said, and he said in that uh, in that whole thing is it's the lifestyle and the experience that rappers and hip hop artists they speak about in their records that same exact thing especially when he said i'm not gonna um go back to i'm not gonna go to work in a regular regular job i gotta get this money mm-hmm. i'll die doing it Yep. right and yeah. sometimes there was no opportunities to be able to come up yep and that was the only way to come up and if you're in that neighborhood and you're um you're coming in with a fly outfit and you're coming in with a nice car and they never seen you working at a 7 you're going to pick to be that guy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how that ends up happening.
3: Yep. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I completely understand when a guy walks in, you're like, wait a minute, that guy has the cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm exactly. busting my butt for minimum wage. I, wanted, I want what that guy has, so
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a very seductive scenario for a lot of people in those neighborhoods. And to a point it still is.
0: Yeah, it It definitely is. And um, Ron O'Neill, who played Priest, uh, Priest, he he really had a problem with that role afterwards. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't do any spoofs or a lot of any remakes because he didn't want that that kind of vision out there for
2: everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And let me just add, even though I never made it in, in that particular industry, I've always been a fashion nut. And that was actually the major I started out with in college before I switched up. So I'm always keen, even now, n- you know, when I see great costuming in movies in, right. in, in any era. And when I tell you, not just in Super Baha'i, but a lot of the movies of this particular era and genre had the most outrageously perfect costuming. Yeah. like. Chef's kiss, and Ron O'Neill and his press and flip. Mm. That was a handsome man. I'm just gonna put it out there. <laughs> that was a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know who he was or his acting history until I saw him. You know, years later, in some episodes of A Different World.
0: Yeah,
2: he played um, Whitley Gilbert's father in some episodes. Yeah, and. I didn't, like, so I didn't know who he was or his significance until I got older and started looking back. And so I'm like, "That's him! That's him!" And he was still just as good looking as he was back in the day. I'm, I'm gonna say it again. Thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're welcome.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but no, no, but like seriously. Yeah. Like, I was talking actually, actually talking to Tim a couple of days ago about Superfly, and um the way he the way he played that role, and i if and I'm thinking I'll top of my head and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the idea of the plot was priest wanted to get out of the game, yes, and he was trying to make enough money so he could quote unquote retire and go you know legit and clean, right, so he was ugh, urgently trying to get all his all his ducks in a row and all his chips together and people were like failing him left and right so he had to put the hammer down, blah, 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 blah. So right. there was there was something to it in that he no longer wanted to do what he was doing. But, you know, the way they they you know they picked it how he did it obviously caused some issues. Obviously yeah. for him, which I didn't know.
0: Right. You know? The message didn't get across. That particular message didn't right. get across.
3: Yeah. Right. It's that Common Hollywood theme of one last score, one last job, and then I'm going yeah. to yeah. sell off
0: into the sunset and drink margaritas. <laughs> that was the same thing with Carlito's way. Same, same. Oh, concept. yeah. He wanted to yeah. get out.
2: Yep. Yeah. Same so,
3: thing. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the sort of cool things that I, uh, as I was going through and doing some research, is there were over 200 movies that are considered black exploitation films and every sort of subtype was covered there was crime like with foxy brown action martial arts three the hard way and i think a lot of times those are kind of the movies that everybody thinks about when they think about this genre but there was also westerns and horror which we're going to discuss later comedy nostalgia coming-of-age movies and even some musicals yeah and um, I was
2: surprised. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, um, me and me and Tim were talking about that too, and we were kind of curious as to how they categorized some of these movies as, as black exploitation, and it it was sort of like I guess they folks in that time came to the consensus that it was if it was made during that era and had certain elements, right, and it qualified as so called black exploitation. <laughs> Just to come back to the different like shove genres of the of, of black exploitation, the comedy ones were real interesting because the ones I'm thinking of and I think they they were mentioned. Some of the stuff I read were it was like a two part Uptown Saturday Night and the follow up, which was Let's Do It Again. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: With um, Sydney Poitier and Bill Cosby. Not going there about Bill Cosby, but <laughs> I will. He was in the say, movie. He was in the movie. That's it. But like the biggest premise of Uptown Saturday Night was Cosby and Portier are like two, you know, every every day working man friends who drop in on a. I think I don't know if they still call them speakeasy or something at that time, but it was like an illegal gambling spot, and they wanted to go, you know, play some cards, and the place gets robbed and uh, the thieves take everybody's stuff, everybody that's in the joint, they take wallets, purses, all the valuables, and it just so happens that Cosby's character has a winning lottery ticket in his wallet. And so his character and Portier's character set out to try to find the missing lottery ticket. That's the premise. And it is it is a funny movie. Yeah, it, it is, is yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really funny movie. And again, some of those tropes that are associated with black exploitation movies are in there. You have certain caricatures of like everyday neighborhood people. And then, of course, unfortunately, you have the gangster trope in there. But what was interesting is that Cosby and Portier's characters, they really weren't any kind of particular stereotype. They were just your everyday working man kind of dudes.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: And so their whole thing was, you know, we got to get this ticket back because it had been, I guess, for a significant amount of money. And of course, their whole thing as it was, as you probably see throughout the genre, their thing was, Hey, we can have we can step up to a more comfortable life with this kind of money. So they were desperate and determined to get it back. Yep. Well,
3: based on that $1 billion winning lotto, if somebody stole my lotto ticket, I'd go on a killing spree to get that ticket back, too. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: well, these,
2: that's the thing, though. These guys, those guys were not killers. They were, they were goofy. They were a little yeah. goofy.
0: But, hey, you got to do what you got to do. I'm you do. Jack, maybe, Jack, I could be the Sydney Poitier to your Bill Cosby when we do it.
3: Uh, I guess I could. Be pre goofy using Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't I, pre. That was during. That,
2: was, that would, yeah, that I, would have been during. <laughs> I, I was trying to
3: be generous. <laughs> <laughs> that would
2: be during. There was talk for years. They were going to do a remake of that. Yeah. And I think it was supposed to star Will Smith. And oh my gosh, I can't remember who else it was. Let me look. I can't remember who else they said that was supposed to um, co-star with him because he was supposed to do one of the leading roles and it never happened. Like I had a, a, an old coworker of mine who would like, he would like on a monthly basis out of nowhere, be like, whatever happened to the Uptown Saturday Night remake? I'd be like, I don't know, Mike, what did happen to <laughs> it? <laughs> that's, that's one of those ones that we like so much. Yeah. yeah, even though I'll be the first to say that there's far too many remakes and stuff that don't that doesn't need to be done. Yeah. But that was one of the ones I would have enjoyed seeing and it's a shame that they they never can do fruition, I guess you could say. So, yeah. oh, Kevin Hart.
0: Okay. That's what I was thinking. It was, yeah, it would be Kevin Hart.
2: Yeah, Will Smith and Kevin Hart were supposed to play the lead role. so Oh,
0: that's that would have been a good idea.
2: That would've yeah. been Great something
0: because that concept would work today.
2: It would. It yep, really would. Yeah,
3: yeah definitely. Oh. One of the sort of interesting things was that, you know, at first, funding for these movies were sort of, you know, independent, not the big studios. And then the major studios were like, holy cow, you could, there's a lot of money to be made here. And so they started uh, funding movies, but then they didn't actually give, you, you know, the the budget for a normal sort of movie they just were like oh hey we can make a ton of money off of this so let's throw this money at them and these filmmakers and not fully fund it like we would with other filmmakers mm-hmm. yeah, which i found sort of typical yeah, of. They didn't, yeah. They
0: didn't, you're right and they really didn't give the push no yeah they did uh, big studios because yeah i think this um especially during that time when they when he coined the um, black exploitation the godfather was released right right and that was like the biggest movie of that time prior to that a little bit because it was uh, they say that the first black they considered the first black exploit exploitation movie was um i think was it cotton comes to harlem i think they said
2: i think it is it is mm-hmm. yeah, yes and
0: i think that was probably 69 70 i'm not sure but during that time rosemary Baby. Was out, which is a big movie. So right, they were funding those, but was unable to. I guess they didn't understand the market or to be able to do it. But evidently, they stayed around. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in some regards, I kind of felt like in the
3: beginning, sort of with the independent filmmakers, in a way, it was kind of like a film version of Black Wall Street, in a way, where where you, we're just going to do it on our own. Which, of course. The powers that be are like, oh, well, you can't do that. We got to get on in this gig, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's interesting that um, you mentioned The Godfather, Tim, because um, I, I don't know what year Scarface came out, but 80 I know. Yeah, it I was later on, but there's a, a certain fascination that a lot of Black community has with gangster movies. I think yeah. everybody,
0: uh, America loved they love gangsters. They do. They the do. Board.
2: And it's never, you know, board. never mind that Tony Montana died. Yeah. At the end of Scarface. Yeah. Spoilers, listening friends. If you've never seen it, I don't know what to tell you. But <laughs> 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 my my whole thing was, is and, and don't get me wrong, I, I I I like Scarface. I actually own it on the on a div, and I enjoy that just for the the filmmaking that it is and. You know, watching Pacino do his thing is watching Pacino do his thing anywhere really is, is a mind blower. But, yeah. um, I, I often wonder yeah. why it's held such and such regard. Cause I mean, Tony, T- Tony Montani gets mentioned in I don't know how many rap verses over the yes. years. I don't know how many times I've heard it. And I'm like, okay, it's all well and good that he did his thing and he came, he came from literally nothing and built himself up to this. But in the meantime, he ended up a huge coquette. Um, he killed his sister, his best friend, which, you know, ended up being his sister's lover. He was jealous. Read into that what you want. And then at the end, you know, he gets holed up in his own fancy mansion and gets, you know, shot to death. What What's the lesson here? I wonder. You would,
0: you would think that um, that would teach him a lesson not to go that route because the mm-hmm. guys have been... No, because a lot of people are uh, fascinated by it. A lot of people, like I said, America is fascinated with villains, no matter yes. what. Yes. Down yes. to even to the Westerns. As Jay-Z said the best in one of his first records, as long as the villain wins. Huh. Even though Scarface Scarface died at the end, they believe that he died for his principle. Hmm. They're not thinking about any moral thing that's, that's around that. They think that he died for his principal. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out like this. This is how they see it. Because I remember when it came out, I think it was 82, 83. Um, and, it, and it's very, and people say that movies really don't take effect on, on the youth. It does.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
0: when I was young, when Scarface came out, the main thing about Scarface is that he told it like it was. He and did. when you're a teenager, to 11, 12, 13, you really don't know who you are. And if you see somebody like a Tony Montana speaking his mind and this, that, near about telling people off, you want to do the same thing. And then you see other stuff. You want to em- emulate the same thing at 12, or 13 years old. So everybody loves the villain and it's never going to change. I know it's not part of the podcast. The reason why they love Donald, them people love Donald Trump.
2: <laughs> you, I mean, you know, now you say that like that, you're not wrong. You're, yeah, you're yeah. not. And. And just to kind of, pull, you know, wrap it back in, it makes perfect sense then yeah. why especially the 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 crimes of sh- subgenre of blackportation movies did have the effect that they did. Because you, like you said, you have people speaking their mind, they're doing what they want to do, they're doing what they feel they have to do. And in the instance of the the Blackness of it, it's finally black folks being been able to stick it to the man, which is usually right. usually law enforcement. But then, you know, of <laughs> course. But of course, you know, you're talking about the yeah. whole establishment, the whole um, governmental establishment, sticking it to the cops, to the judges, to whoever else that they feel like has been has had a foot on their necks all those years. And now they finally get to come out ahead. The fact yeah. that, you know, the methods by which they do it, that was the questionable part, but they did it. And I I guess I'm thinking that makes absolute sense what you're saying, Tim. They 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 said what they wanted to say, they did what they wanted did, and they did what they felt they had to do. And
3: to piggyback on your idea that people love a good villain, what is one of the biggest complaints about the early Marvel Cinematic Universe films? Is that a lot of times the villains were lacking in terms of I guess awesomeness. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, you know, that they was were, always one of the biggest complaints. They were
2: yeah. one. They were one dimensional, oftentimes, yeah. and and I'm gonna probably go off on a small tangent. I probably will, but I think when you're talking about like superhero movies, um, I was thinking about this the other day. That one of the first movies I can think of that you started seeing villains fleshed out better, that you you saw the motives for why they did what they were doing, and you felt. Not necessarily sympathy, but you had a measure of understanding was, um, Batman Returns, the second Batman movie, the second one, the second and last so far for Michael Keaton playing, um, Bruce Wayne, right? Which had, uh, the penguin, Dane DeVito and Catwoman, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And I think that was the first time for me, and I might be wrong, but for me, that they started fleshing out the most behind why these people were doing what they were doing.
0: Yeah. And um, that was the first time for me, too, because I wasn't really because Batman's DC, right? Yes. Yes. DC Comics. I wasn't really a huge fan except for Superman, but I was more Marvel. But Mm -hmm. I never read the comic books. But that you're right. That was the first time where you got to see the background of why they do what they do. And that that makes a lot of sense.
2: Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that related to to this particular genre, I think a lot of people, when they saw these movies, no matter what the basis was, they may have started seeing themselves in those yeah. positions. Like, OK, I get it. He's not he's not doing what I would do, but I get why he's doing it. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, I think that was a lot of the appeal for a good deal. Of these movies, like I said especially the ones that centered on um, crime or gangsters or drug dealing or whatever the case may be. And then also the Westerns. And we haven't, that's one of those things I would love to see more of, or more Black Westerns. Like, you know, I haven't, I'm not a Western fan, per se, but when I see a good one, I'm all in, so. Gotcha. That one, I think, um, Buck and the Preacher, I haven't seen it, but it's on my list, so I'm gonna Um, gonna get into that one as as soon as possible, so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, just because of the the way the movie world works, you know, when you think about sort of westerns and cowboys, it gives the illusion that there were only white cowboys, and that's not the case at all. The mm-hmm. history of Oklahoma completely proves that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially when you talk about Bass Reeves. But, I mean, there were just yeah. – I can understand where if you had been a slave and now you're free – you might think to yourself, I am just going to get on a horse and just go wander the world, <laughs> you know, and
2: right. find a new no place problems. to, no to go. Yeah. Yep. I, I, can, I can definitely see that. That's it, It's not just the, the freedom. It's And I think this is probably going to be a reoccurring thing the more we talk about it. It's the idea of having some measure of power. Right. And, yeah. you know, we're all human. And, and I'm, I, I can probably say that with that power... Not to be cheesy, but with great power comes great responsibility. But I'm sure that some of those folks, when they when they got out, you know, out from under the foot of slavery and they ended up doing whatever they were doing, sometimes having that power did go to their head and it would turn back on them or other black folks or whatever what have you. But and I think maybe some of these movies depicted some of that, especially when you talk about right. the ones that center on crime and drug dealing and prostitution. You know, they were trying to get ahead, but at what cost, you know, at the expense of other black people. So there's there's something to be said about those parts of it. Definitely. And, and I want to make
0: a disclaimer. Not all white people are bad. That's not <laughs> bad real I just want to get that point across, because, I mean, a lot of people, just like they do with black with Black people, not all black people are bad. Everybody is everybody. Mm-hmm. and I just want to make that disclaimer that we're cool with people. Just even if you're different as far as your views, speak on it. Let's have a dialogue. Now back to the show. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> we interrupt this podcast for a special message.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I, thought that. I, I concur, most definitely.
3: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask sorry. you guys, want to hear? A, I found a website that has the what they considered the top ten Black exploitation actors would you like for me to uh, read this top 10 list yes I there's got some it. solid names on it uh, yes. it has
2: to be yes
3: all right coming in at number 10 but in terms of names he's number one who is also in blackula and that would be thalmus Rasulala. that is yeah. a he played the van helsing character
2: mm-hmm. and i hope
3: i did not uh butcher the last name too poorly because i am a firm believer in trying to always pronounce somebody's name correctly but not only was he in blackula he was also in the movie cornbread earl and me Mm -hmm. bucktown and adios amigos and then he was in uh pam Greer's. he was pam Greer's lover in
0: 1975's friday foster Look at that! You that. triggered
2: Tim. Look at this. Yes. <laughs>
0: like, I think that's part of that's one of the reasons why why I really wanted to be an adult in that era. I was just born during the era. But go ahead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: um,
0: sadly, he died
3: at the age of fifty one. This doesn't explain why, but that was that was a solid number ten. I can't argue with that one. No. And uh, let's see. Oh, he was also in 1988's Cop Thriller with Mega Bastard Steven Seagal, Above the Law. He mega played bastard. his boss. Yeah. yeah uh, Steven Seagal is not a not a, not a good man. Yeah, I was... just
0: watched a documentary on him yesterday. <laughs> he is not a good man. I, He's I, I, a liar, too. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There... <laughs> I think it was the New York Post, New York Times did a story about him, and they were talking about all of the allegations of sexual assaults that he has done on film okay. sets. And it was it was worded as, the number is too high for us to even count or tabulate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, ju- 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 just so you know, I'm going to add the word Megabaster to my... <laughs> to my that's, vocabulary <laughs> that's what they
0: said mega bastard i like that they've got the, the actor thomas you just started talking about he was also a, the father every now and then on what's happened the tv show Ooh, of the 70s, he sure happened. was
2: yeah. oh my gosh yes. wow was
0: roger's father that's uh,
2: that's
3: that's also cool yeah, is. <laughs> yep. and he also was in uh roots yeah and a, and apparently he guest starred on Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: That's what I was getting ready right
2: to say. Everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody yeah, my, my my folks back then. My parents
0: were roots. I think yeah. they were roots.
2: Everybody had a, had a spot in roots. White <laughs> and black, everybody was everybody. in there. Everybody. <laughs> right. yeah, Mike
0: Brady was in there. Mike <gasps> Brady was a slave owner. Yeah. Uh. And the, yeah. I'm talking about not Mike Brady, Brady fans. I'm just saying the person who played, uh, what's his name? Reed something. Yeah. One who played the father on the Brady Bunch, who played Mike Brady.
2: He sure he was. He a character
0: in um, Roots.
2: He sure was. Yep. Yeah, so
0: I just wanted to make sure, I wanted to clear it up and be like, oh
2: my God, Mike Brady is a racist. <laughs> no, nobody said that. <laughs> another,
0: another, disclaimer. <laughs> another disclaimer. Right. <laughs> okay, coming in. At
3: number nine, Marlene Clark. Yes. She was in films such as Night of the Cobra. Night of the Cobra Woman, sorry. Slaughter, Black Mamba. Uh, I'm going to assume that that is not about Kobe Bryant.
0: <laughs> well, that's when the name came from Black Mamba, yeah uh,
3: And then uh, she was in Ganja and Hess. Oh. And where she became a horror icon. Oh. Um, she was beautiful. Yes.
0: Another reason why I wish I was an adult in the seventies. <laughs>
3: coming in at number eight um we actually are going to uh talk about another film that he was in a little later on and that would be former football player Jim Brown
0: yeah
3: and he uh started out his acting career with like Gene Hackman and Lee Marvin and Burt Reynolds Uh, but then he had a career all his own with the successful film character Slaughter which was some movies where he played an ex-Green Beret who takes on the mob and crooked government agents.
2: See, the man. It's yep. always about the man. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> and let's see. He was also in Black Gun, Three the Hard Way, One Down, Two to Go, and the Spaghetti Western Take a Hard Ride.
2: I don't know if you guys have heard of, it's a film that came out, Maybe a year or so ago, directed by uh, Regina King, who I love. One night in Miami.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, with um, Malcolm Malcolm X and um, Martin Luther King, and who was the third one?
2: It was it was um, it was it was based on an actual thing that happened. It was Malcolm X, Jim Brown, yeah, Sam Cooke, and Muhammad Ali, and they all met up in uh, Miami on the eve of Ali's fight. I can't remember who he was fighting. Um, but they all met up and it was a fictional depiction of what their conversation that night might have looked like. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it
2: though. It's excellent. And the actor that plays Jim Brown, he was just getting started in his movie career. He was talking about transitioning out from football at that point. He was talking about how worried he was about not being able to make it in the movies he was he was unsure of himself mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you touched on the films that he was in because he did pretty good for himself yeah, yeah. You no know, as as once he came out of out of playing sports he did pretty good but it was interesting to see you know what kind of thoughts he might have had in his mind when he was transitioning from what he was doing because you know we're talking about and still to an extent this day where a lot of black men are seen as nothing but commodities Right in in the world of sports. And that was one of the things that he was worried about. Can I actually... Are people going to take me seriously enough for me to be able to not do this anymore and to switch over and start making movies? So that's interesting you bring him up.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And coming in at number seven, Gloria Hendry. Bond,
2: wasn't she in Bond?
3: She was. She was a Bond girl in 1973's Live and Let Die. Oh, yeah. Which, according to this in itself, was a blend of a Bond film and a black exploitation pick.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> well, <it> right. <rang, laughs> but, but she also starred in Black Caesar, Slaughter's Big Rip Off with yeah. the aforementioned Jim Brown, Hell Up in Harlem, Black Belt Jones, and the Savage Sisters. And one of the cool things about her is Beyonce claims her as an influence. Oh,
0: that's really uh, what well, she did kick butt.
3: So, I can see that. That's cool
2: for that role that she played in the last Austin Powers movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. For sure. And I think she, her and Roger Moore's kiss on screen was the first interracial situation in a movie like that. I think. um, I think it's either the Bond series or in a movie period. I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. but she was one of the first one Mm -hmm. of
3: those. And on, on TV, the first one was between Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Uhura. Yes. yes. On Star
0: Trek. Yep.
2: But you know they always, you know there's always that, that contingent that wants to make this disclaimer. Well, you know they were under hypnosis at the time. <laughs> like implying that they did it unwillingly. I'm like, yeah, right. shut the hell up. The just
0: DVD back then. Yeah, right. Can, yeah. Like, yeah. Just good.
2: enjoy the show. Just enjoy mm-hmm. the show.
0: <laughs> yep, Yeah. <laughs>
3: Okay, coming in at number six, Fred Williamson. Oh, mm. Yeah, he is he is a legend. He did more films in the genre than anyone else. But he made his film debate in debate debut in the nineteen seventy mm. classic MASH. Mm. And he started Yep.
2: Yeah, he the was the movie. The movie yes. movie? Yep. The yes. movie oh, movie. If you haven't nah, if you haven't seen that. It is really good.
0: Yeah, I, I know I, about it because um, not keep it,
2: um, Donald Sutherland is
0: in it. Right? Yes. Right? Yes. Um,
2: yeah, Him, okay. Elliot Gould, and there's a handful of other recognizable actors in it. But it's really, it wasn't what I thought it'd be based on the show. The show was more comedy. The yeah. movie was not. It was like some dry yeah. humor. But it was a really good movie. I only watched it like a couple of months ago for the first time. It was good. Yeah.
3: yeah, and the character he played in the movie was in season one of M.A.S.H., and then he... I guess, was written out. I don't know. He wasn't in after that. Uh, Maybe he got lucky and got to go back home. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But he was also in Black Caesar, Hell Up in Harlem, Three the Hard Way, another film called Boss. Uh, Let's see. He's also considered one of the most important black filmmakers with his signature sense of humor, and Extra Long Cigar became his trademark and continue to be a part of his persona to this day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I just had to say that I gotta give him props. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Coming in at number five, Vonetta McGee, who is going to be discussed later on.
2: This um, girl.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was in Blackula, and then she was also in Detroit 9000, which based on the name alone, I'm going to have to go and watch. <laughs> uh, she was in shaft in africa and fred williamson's hammer mm-hmm. and the thing they say about her is that she had an old style hollywood persona and that she would give the type of performances that weren't normally seen in the genre and she went on to star in clint eastwood's 1975 film the eiger sanction
0: mm-hmm. yeah i've seen it I, just, I didn't even realize it
3: yeah and then she also went on to star in TV shows like Cagney and Lacey and L.A. Law.
2: Cagney and Lacey. Oh, I'm going to have to
0: look her up and see what she looks like now.
2: She passed. Oh, never mind. <laughs> she passed Rest in. Rest in
0: peace. Rest in peace. Uh,
2: 1990, I think.
0: Yeah. Go out. Early going.
2: No, no. I might be off. It might be might be 2010. I might be wrong on that I've,
3: Yeah, they don't have it on here.
2: 2010, she passed away.
3: Yeah. Oh, wow. Rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. She was gorgeous. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh let's see here. Coming in at number four, the aforementioned Ron O'Neill, who was Superfly. And let's see. <laughs> it says here that he was a James Bondian character who suffered no fools. Uh, so that's probably where Mr. T got it from. Could it be. So yeah and then he also i guess did the sequel superfly tnt where okay. he also directed it and number three is Tamara dobson mm.
2: Okay. She,
3: yeah she was in cleopatra jones and its sequel cleopatra jones and the casino of gold mm-hmm. and um, cleopatra jones was one of the movies that i tried to get the uh, audio of the trailer but the first minute and a half is just Car chases and her beating the crap out of people with kung fu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it didn't really, it didn't really uh, convert well. And then coming in at number two, which number two and number one, you could probably swap around any way you want and everything. There would be no complaints by anyone. But coming in at number two is Richard Roundtree, also known as John Shaft.
2: <laughs> Shut your mouth.
3: <laughs> yeah and um Shaft was actually I, I ended up and looked up a little more on Shaft just because that was such a sort of important character in the uh, in that genre because mm-hmm. not only was it feature films then they also made seven TV films uh, with the character
0: mm-hmm. I saw that I, did not, I didn't know that I saw that
3: yeah which is which is pretty cool the feature films are Shaft followed by Shaft's big score Shaft in Africa and then the 2000 film Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson. And then the 2019, that's what it was from earlier. The other Shaft. They just, I guess, keep calling him Shaft.
0: Yeah. And the, shaft the rest of his life.
2: Well, um, if you saw the very last Shaft in that entire series, it actually ties all of them in. All of
3: them together. Yeah. I loved yeah. It. And I I like, it. I was like,
2: you need to it. see it. Yeah. It's good. And the
3: T V movies are Shaft and the Enforcers, came out in nineteen seventy three. So they pretty quick started making T V movies uh with the character. Uh also hey, that's in seventy three. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Also uh released in wow, seventy three was busy for Shaft. Uh Shaft and the Killing. And then also in seventy three was Shaft and the Hit and Run. And Shaft and the Kidnapping. And then the the next three all came out in seventy four. Shaft and the Cop Killer, Shaft and the Capricorn Capricorn Murders, and Shaft and the Murder Machine.
0: Did not know any
3: of those. So, yeah, that's that's pretty. That's that's a pretty prolific character. I mean, that's
0: you know, that's James Bond, uh, Dirty Harry. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't didn't
2: know. I knew they did
0: a couple, but I didn't know that many.
2: Yeah, I, I I knew about the movies, not the not the TV movies. That's that's a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and also about Shaft is it was an adaptation of an author named Ernest Tidyman's. It was a novel that came out in 1970 of the same name. And when the movie first came out, the Shaft character was supposed to be a white dude, but uh, Richard Roundtree, I guess, got an audition for it, and he did so well that they changed the character. Which is, you know, cool because it started a huge, <laughs> a huge thing mm-hmm. uh, for Richard Roundtree, and apparently, uh, let's see, the movie Shaft is one of the reasons I guess that George Romero cast Dwayne Jones in Night of the Living Dead.
2: Mmm. Mm.
0: Sort
3: of what is what this thing says. I don't know oh, if wow. that's true or not, but
2: it. I think there may be something to it because I read Romero allegedly didn't consider the fact that um he was black he just won the best actor for the role right. but you know there's different stories behind that anyway so <laughs> right right
3: yeah and i'm going to move on to number 1 which mm-hmm. i'm sure at this point everybody can figure out who number 1 is
2: mm-hmm. it's going to
3: make tim incredibly happy yes and that
0: would be <laughs> pam greer <Woo! laughs> she still looks good to this day she does yeah
3: Yeah. she She starred in coffee friday foster the big bird cage and her crowning jewel foxy brown and she was also you know a pretty big uh icon for quentin tarantino Mm
2: -hmm. and when
3: he made his homage to the genre with jackie brown she of course was in that and it kind of started a, a film resurgence for her because she wasn't really doing a whole lot before that. And then after that, she was all of a sudden in a bunch of stuff, which is really cool mm-hmm. when, when people's careers can be extended like that.
2: She um she was one of the supporting roles on The L Word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, was, that was a pretty good show, but she played um, the sister of Jennifer, Jennifer Beals' character. I remember that. She was good in that. But yeah, Pam Greer, get out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean is Samuel L. Jackson's nowhere in the list. Uh okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was because look, Samuel L. Jackson's been in almost every movie that ever comes out and you forget that he was in it. I
2: I I <laughs> want to say I don't know how true it is now but I read a couple years ago that he had been in more movies than any working actor yeah. currently alive. And he and- also
3: holds the record for being in the movies that have made the most money.
2: That's yes. Cool.
3: But when you think about it, Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> the yes. MCU. Yep. Jurassic Park. <laughs>
2: yep. He is not he's not a joke. He's not a joke. He is literally one of the hardest looking, working men in Hollywood. Yeah. Dave
0: Brown, active.
2: Yes, he does not look like he about to slow down anytime soon. No, nope,
3: no, nope, he is not. And I don't blame him. And yeah. The cool thing about Samuel L. Jackson is in his contract, he always has something that he gets a certain amount of time off to play golf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that something on his costume with his character, something has to be purple.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, interesting.
3: That's why Mace Windu's lightsaber is purple in Star Wars, because he has that. Well, he asked George Lucas, and George Lucas at first was like, no, and then he thought about it. He's like, yeah, no, yeah, we'll make it purple. Oh,
2: wow. I mean, this that's is out. Samuel L. We talk about give him what he wants, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think probably the fact that Samuel's been in every kind of genre movie you yeah. can possibly think of, yeah. you, you can't you can't pin him down to one genre. You really can't. No, no, that he no. was
0: in, people forget that he was in Goodfellas.
2: Yeah, yeah, he sure was. Yeah, I, I yeah. hate what I hate what happened to him. No, but no. No, no. <laughs> that's what oversleeping will get you. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's iconic, and I I cheered when I found out he had won the um lifetime achievement award at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the ten.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good list, and like I said, you can't go wrong with one or two. You could flip them. I don't think it matters either way.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would would say the
3: Shaft movies probably have a more lasting cultural
0: impact overall. Yeah, majority mm, then, of the people would know chef over a lot of um, Pam Grier's movies. Yeah, but, I but yeah, so you can interchange it. But I'm keeping her at number one. She's not, <laughs> you know. of course, she's, she's <laughs> your number
2: one yeah. <laughs> and two cool. and three and <laughs> yeah, and ten. <laughs> I wanted to say though, um, talking about Shaft. No, I'm not quoting the line. I'm not
0: uh, that
2: the at least the first one was directed by Gordon Parks who yes. was a an iconic and prolific photographer um, before he went into directing. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of the pictures that he's that he's done. One of the better one, known ones is um, he took a tour to segregated areas in America and did a film, I mean, a, a photography series. One of those pictures is the one that you see where it's um, a young woman. She's maybe in her 20s or 30s dressed up real nice in one of those fit nineteen fifties Philly skirts, heels on. She's got a little a little girl with her and they're standing out front of side. It looks like a theater. And the sign above them, they're staying in front of the whites only entrance. And the you can see the sign right behind them and they're turned away from the um okay. away from the, yeah, away from the the building. And that's one of his more famous pictures. Wow. And mm-hmm. He's had He had a tremendous career as a photographer, and like I said then later a director. So it makes sense that you know his eye would be well suited. To yeah do, that makes sense. To do this kind of this kind of work, especially this kind of movie, mm-hmm. cons- you know considering that he was one of the first ones to hit big in the genre, so right right mm-hmm.
3: Well, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to play the trailer for another classic of the era. Baby needs a new pair of shoes.
0: Don't
3: they? So, (laughs) here goes. The numbers game, the numbers game, the numbers game.
0: Play the numbers game. It can be good to you. We take quarters, dimes, and nickels too. Check your number. Play it all. Hit it big, you're walking tall. The numbers game. You pick and choose. Come on, number. Baby needs a
1: new pair of shoes. Meet Pasha, number one in the numbers racket. Numbers is my business, and I want to be left alone to do it. The contract is out on you. The order came from Chicago, not from me, understand? Call them and get them to give me 30 days to liquidate. The mob doesn't give anybody 30 days. Blazing guns is the mob's way of saying goodbye. And you gotta fight to stay alive. See it all, and Baby needs a new pair of shoes. You owe me a dollar and a half come Saturday. Okay, all right? I'll pay you. And stop uh, driving. All right. All right. Go, everything, cool. I want to be a football player and make lots of money and buy a big mansion. Really? I'll probably take care of you all your life. I'll be a millionaire before you get out of sixth grade.
2: Nathan. I got the kid, Nathan.
3: Do it! Sorry about the silence. <laughs> you niggas all
1: want to go to heaven, but you don't want to die.
3: What are you wearing that big
1: mama llama for? We've been talking all night about how we're going to protect ourselves. Now it's up to you to get off the pot. <laughs>
0: Baby needs a new pair of shoes, swings. And when you're number one, as Pasha is, you know how to live.
1: But when your number's up, (laughs) this true-to-life story, Baby needs a new pair of shoes, rated R.
2: Okay. That's going on my list immediately. (laughs) I gotta see that one. I know, I never even heard of that movie, be real with you. I haven't either, but I'm going to go find it. That's the other
0: one,
2: too. And it's funny that 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 particular movie centers on numbers because yeah. that was another one of the so called right. industries there was. Yeah. Right. was one of numbers. And a lot of women were were doing that as well. So
0: Miss St. Clair was yep. one yes. of the biggest ones. Of- yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And
3: what a difference in time because. If you released that same trailer now, it would not have use of the n word in it.
2: <laughs> it did not. It, it, yeah. it would not. It's like, wait, what'd you say? What?
0: But yeah, okay. you know what he said was kind of crazy, though. He said, "You want to die," which I mean, I mean, you want to go to heaven, but you don't want to die. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. It, it is. I think. I think it always comes back to the to what I'm thinking is the theme about it. You want to live better. You want to do better. Right. You know. You don't. You don't want to wait. To later to get your heaven. You want it right here on earth. Right. Exactly. Yep. Now, now, yeah. Now you know
0: we also haven't mentioned yet hmm. sweet sweet back.
2: Sweet yes. Sweet back's
0: badass song.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Which is one of the first with um Mario Van Pe- People's Um Senior. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was an X rating. Yes. Yes. Crazy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mario Van Peebles, his son, made a movie about the making of that movie where he played his dad.
2: Yes. Yep. Yep. And it was called, I think it was called Badass. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Melvin Van Peebles, shoot. That was a handsome man, too. I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) But uh, he was one of the, the big ones. I think they consider, like you mentioned earlier, Tim, they consider Cotton Columns to Harlem the the first of the genre but right. sweet Sweetback and um shaft those were two of the the bigger ones that came out after it so right
0: those, those are the bigger ones and i mm-hmm. said mario Band people senior no melvin, melvin. melvin. right melvin yes. yeah yeah melvin yeah. I, to clear about myself. yeah I just thought about that but yeah. yeah
3: yeah and there's one actor though that wasn't in that top 10 list oh. that we need oh. to discuss and that is bernie casey
2: <laughs> oh, I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah, he uh, was born in Wyco, West Virginia, but grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And the thing about Bernie Casey that most people don't realize is that he played football mm-hmm. and he went to Bowling Green State University and helped the, ni- the team in 1959 win the small college national championship. And he earned All-American status. And he was also a finalist for the U.S. Olympic trials, but it doesn't say which sport. Oh, there it is, high hurdles. And he was the ninth overall selection in the 1961 NFL draft, and he was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. And he played six with the Niners and two years with the Los Angeles Rams. But the most interesting thing about Bernie Casey is he preferred to do art. And the only reason he played in the NFL was to make enough money to do art. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
2: Yeah, football football was just something to fall back on.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's kind of cool. He's like, yeah, I'd rather paint, but i got to have money so I can paint. So I guess I'll just play football.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Um, Yeah,
3: and he began his acting career in Guns of the Magnificent Seven, which was the sequel to The Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. um he played opposite Jim Brown in the crime dramas tick 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 and black gun he played the leading role in the 72 1972 science fiction TV film Gargoyles and he was the love interest in Cleopatra Jones yeah. the first one
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah and he went on he was in Brian's song and the TV show Harrison company uh, let's see. He was also in the Burt Reynolds film Sharky's Machine. Oh, yeah. He was in Rent a Cop. He was also in Revenge of the Nerds, as mm-hmm. you'll recall. He played yep. the uh, the head of the <laughs> fraternity yes. that came to visit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <There> weak. <go. laughs>
3: yeah, he was a he was a naval officer in Mega Bastard Stephen seagull's film Under Siege
2: he's just gonna th- throwing it out there.
3: <laughs> well, i mean he is
2: <laughs> i mean i mean we've we've already yeah we've already confirmed that it's true so that's fine
3: <laughs> uh yeah he was uh the high school history teacher mr ryan and bill and ted's excellent adventure yeah and then a film that we are going to get on here in a second because we're gonna go to sort of something that happened later on which was the spoofing of black exploitation films that occurred, where he was in one of the greatest spoof films of all time, I'm yeah. gonna get you, sucker. Yep, yeah. which also starred Jim Brown.
2: Yes, it did.
3: <laughs> and that is a, a classic, hilarious movie. And when we go to part two of this, there is a scene in there that is completely taken almost shot for shot from Blackula. I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but I'm going to play the trailer for I'm Going to Get You Sucker. Once again, just so everybody can get a hang on sort of that jo- uh, type of film, but it's a more modern trailer. So <laughs> the trailer is a little uh, more used to what we're, uh, or more like a trailer we're used to hearing today because trailers are definitely different than in the early seventies. Oh, definitely. So, here we go. Never has a film moved so many and touched so
1: deeply. United Artists is proud to present I am going to get you Sucker, a captivating story. <laughs> Yo, baby, hold it, that ain't it. It's I'm gonna get you Sucker. Yes. And it's the story of the brothers fight. Yes. Against Mr. Big. Yes, well. Let's get that sucker it's about action bravery i'm a soldier man i've been trained for combat that's that's that's... romance 12 inches and danger if y'all step on my bunny, i'll kill both of you i'm gonna get you sucker let's get that sucker it's the good guys against the bad guys Oh, how come their guns are so much bigger than ours? It's a phallic thing, I don't know. Good girls against the bad guys. You must got the devil in you! And it's bad guys against the bad guys. Now, you boys can leave either through the window or the stairs. We gonna take the stairs. we'll take the stairs. I'm gonna get you, sucker! You know what I mean, brother? Well, actually I don't. You know, I didn't grow up around blacks. Now I grew up in the suburbs. My dad was a lawyer, my mom was a doctor, and all of my friends were white. chump. <laughs> I'm gonna get you, sucker! Ah! No. no! It's got passion. Pumps, rhythm and soul. Great brother! Who are these guys? It's my theme music. a good hero. You should have some. I'm gonna get just Don't say that going to get you sucker even if you can't say it you got to see it i got you sucker
0: <laughs>
2: hilarious <laughs> oh my gosh oh since you brought that up i want to i want to brief, touch briefly uh, briefly touch on another actor that was also in the genre and happens to be in sucker antonio fargas
0: that's right. Yes. <laughs> this guy.
2: Yes. And he had quite a few supporting roles during the exploitation era. Um, he's, Huggy Bear. He
0: played Huggy Bear. Huggy
2: Bear and Starsky and Hutch. Yep. Um, he was in Shaft, Cleopatra Jones, uh, uh, Across 110th Street, yeah. Foxy Brown, uh, Cornbread, Earl and Me, Car Wash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he had um, a role here in Sucker, which, if you've seen it, you know about him.
0: <laughs> yeah, all those years spent in prison, he comes out and uh, it, comes out dressing like the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> His shoes right. had the goldfish in them. <laughs> yes.
2: Listen, yes. I had a co-worker, the same one that used to question why there wasn't an Uptown Saturday Night remake out yet. We used to do Halloween um costume and one year he came he came dressed up and that entire get up, including <laughs> wow. the shoes with the fake fish in it. That's we awesome. Died. He had it down pat. It was hilarious. Wow. It was hilarious.
3: That movie had one of the greatest flashback scenes though with that character when he was like, I was pimp of the year.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: And, and, and then they go back, and it's like a Miss America-style contest. Yes. And he gets up, and he does his poem, and he's like, my bitch better have my money, Do rain, That's, sleet, or snow.
2: My bitch my better money. have my
3: money. <laughs> That's one thing I damn surely do know.
2: <laughs> not some, not half, but all. All.
0: <laughs> if she don't, I'm going to put my foot in her ass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but here Genius. but here's the thing, and I know y'all know this. Dave Chappelle straight ripped that. Yeah, of course. In one yeah. of his episodes, and that was funny as I don't know what.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes. So you can see, like in even stuff, you know, that we see in relatively recent times, you can see the influence of these kinds of tropes and stereotypes keep trickling in. And it's it's played mostly for laughs now, but
0: yeah, and, and with I'm Going to Get You Sucker, I, I know what's funny about it is that they paid attention to the genre and made fun of it. Yep. You know what yeah, I mean? Man. They made fun of it because I'm pretty sure the people who was watching back then saw the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? They mm-hmm. just had the nerve to make a movie, a whole spoof on it. It's sort of like Airplane. Love Airplane. Yes. So, yeah. I love I'm going to get you sucker, especially when um, Bernie Casey says it. How does he go to the bathroom with all that shit on the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the dude, guys, guys from gold chains, for those who don't know. The,
2: who oh,
0: guys, yeah. Like, he OGs. He overgolded the OG. <laughs> Yeah, OGs. So, he yeah. yeah,
2: at least so, 10 pounds of gold on him. <laughs> laying yeah, there. So keep in mind,
0: everybody, it's a spoof movie. That's the reason why. This guy OGs overgolds on gold chains. They finally got it. And Bernie Gaze. I just don't know. how in the hell is he going go to the bathroom with all this no, shit? On? shit
2: on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then they had the uh what was it, the Hood Olympics?
2: Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they show mean, guys yeah, running
3: with a TV on their shoulder being yep. chased by a Doberman and Oh
2: how how fast can you strip this car down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all it's a new world record. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, this movie also had the legendary Isaac Hayes. Yep. Who uh, he was a supporting role in and he happened to own a restaurant (laughs) that served ribs. And Chris Rock had a real support, small small supporting role where he came in and he'd be like, can I get one rib? He's like, oh, you want a rack of ribs? No, I got 63 cents. I want one rib. He's like, get the hell out of my (laughs) restaurant. (laughs) What if I give you yeah. a dime
3: and just put my hands underneath the soda yeah. Dispenser?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then And it all is. He's like, can you break a <laughs> hundred?
0: Yeah. After all that. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, hilarious. They, yeah. The
2: yeah. Wainins hit, hit that on the nose with this one. Yeah, How they spoofed it. But it was still you know, you have you have movies that, you know, you have spoof movies that do a horrible job and yeah. they make fun of whatever it is they're spoofing. This one did, but it was still enjoyable. You still, like a lot of people I know, can sit there and quote this movie, you know, line for line, like, you know, me. So right. <laughs> it's a classic in, I guess, the offshoot spoof genre, I guess you'd say.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Dan Brady was in it too.
2: She sure was. He, yep. um, 'Cause she played the 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 black revolutionary's wife. Yes. You'd yeah. <laughs> <He laughs> Like another... mean pie, brother. Yeah. By copy my a copy, yeah. of, my, by a copy yeah. of my book. <laughs> what
0: was his name? Um Clarence Williams?
2: Yes, Clarence Williams yeah. is Yep. Album. Yeah.
0: My favorite. Prince's Father.
2: Yep. Yeah. And Tales yeah. from the Hood. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So there is one more film that I'm gonna talk about here in a second, but I'm gonna name some of the Hollywood films that were influenced or have characters influenced by that whole genre. Uh, the aforementioned Jackie Brown with Pam Greer, mm. Undercover Brother in 2002.
2: Yeah.
3: Austin Powers and Goldmember, which is uh, the Beyonce character of Foxy Cleopatra, which completely combined, you know, the name of two characters from different movies, but it also play, or it also has on here that Reservoir D- Dogs has elements from that. Oh. The Mac. Uh, there's a scene from true romance that comes from it uh jang uh, Django unchained and kill bill are also all movies that sort of do tributes or flat out you know spoof like the uh, undercover brother that was more of a spoof oh yeah that was definitely so i guess that just goes to show you that sometimes if you i guess carry on and go through the crap eventually you become you could become an icon.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah.
2: And while and I'm not here to say that all these movies were great because just like with any genre you have some really good ones and you have some that are duds. And then you have some that get in there under the umbrella or are are and end up being complete dog shit.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Case yeah. in point. Mandingo. <laughs> <laughs> Hated it. Yeah, I hated everything about it, and it wasn't just because it was a bad movie. It was just a bad approach because some some movies do their best to try to be sincere with the material, and they just fail at it. Right. I don't think anybody involved with that shit thought that that was actually going to be good, and it was directed by a big time director. It was Dino de la. um, Was it Dino?
3: De Yes. The the parent. Food Network star Jada Taylor and
2: Horrible. The movie was horrible.
0: Wasn't I... William H. Casey in that? Or oh. whatever his name is. The actor. The Caucasian actor. Uh, William F. Gate. What was his name? Mm. He was in one of them. It was his first acting job. It was one of those black exploitation. I think it was. But it was a black movie. And I wonder if it was that.
2: Hmm. It might have been. Because I remember... Perry King had a lead role in it and I liked it. Yeah, him. Perry King, I
0: remember we talked about that.
2: Yeah, we talked yeah. about that and uh, you know, I and Ken Ken Norton was another another uh, supporting role in it and yeah. uh another athlete turned actor and everything was just so it focuses, you know, on slavery in the slavery era. But everything from the accents to the acting to the plotting just it's just trash it's just trash yeah. and there are people that argue you know to this day that they swear that's one of the best ones out there and i'm like where do you see this yeah where do you see it? it's not just that it focuses on slavery because a lot of people don't care for slavery movies and i understand why because it kind of it looks like it's limiting the african-american experience to just when we showed up in this country but there's a way to do that and to tell those stories and be honest about it instead of crap right. like Mandingo. I just had to put that out there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and plus that term became um, a stereotype, too. Yes. Man, yeah. it was read, you know, definitely. And we hadn't talked about, um, even though in the genre, uh, Dolomite.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And even wow. Dolomite's movies, to a certain extent, were kind of a spoof. Yeah, they Uh definitely
3: definitely were. Yeah. Yeah, and the last spoof we're going to discuss, and this will, since we're going to transition to part two of the episode here in a few moments, is the Michael Jai White film Black Dynamite. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Which my brother comes over one day and he has the DVD and he's like, "Dude, you got to watch this. This movie's hilarious." I was like, "Sometimes my brother finds movies funny that aren't." <laughs> so I was like alright I'll watch it and I sat down with my wife and <laughs> we laughed so much during this movie that we ended up watching it like three times over that weekend because it was so funny
0: that's crazy yeah yeah It yeah, was for what it was
3: yeah and there was even there's a scene where some bad guys are pulling up and they're getting out of their car to start shooting at the good guy and then the car starts rolling and then the bad guy hops in the car and puts it back in park that was not planned at all. Oh, wow. The dude just didn't, he thought he had slammed it into park and he put it into neutral instead and then the car started rolling. Oh, and wow. they found that scene so funny because they're like, that's probably would have been left in an actual movie if that had happened. And they, they were like, this is just perfect. And so they they left it in. <laughs>
0: See, yeah, happy accidents work. Yes.
2: Sometimes, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen I haven't seen a live action movie but I did watch several seasons of the animated series and I was laughing till I was crying. Uh, that I, that I, mess I, was I, funny cuz you can get away with stuff in animated movies that yeah. you that you couldn't otherwise. That yeah. mess was funny.
3: Yeah. yeah. The the best part was his parents actually named him Black Dynamite. That wasn't a nickname. <laughs> that was his legal name. Yeah,
0: that's,
3: <laughs> that's what made it even funnier. <laughs> so, I'm going to Another minute and a half here. Two minutes, guys. I'm going to play this trailer because we can't talk about this film without playing this.
1: Oh, you suckers gather round. There's a brand new movie coming to town. So get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, black dynamite. He's super cool and he know kung fu. Drives a $5,000 car and wears a $100 suit.
2: You're so righteous.
1: This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies, he's out of sight.
2: Uh, let me guess. he wanted of these brothers thinking you can get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile?
1: I am smiling. Black Dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever.
3: We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, hunkers from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And
1: he's better than Chef Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother... Your death will not go on a bench. ...and put the dope on the street. It's my nephew, Bucky. He od He's back in the game and he's playing for keeps. <laughs> Dynamite! Dynamite! I am declaring war on anybody who sells drugs in our community. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. He killed my best dealer! So if you crave satisfaction, then dig this action. Guaranteed to put your ass in traction. <laughs> black Black Stack, Attack and Match. Backtrack, Slapjack, Bootblack, Flashback, Ramsack, Jam Pack and Steel coming back. You see where I'm coming from, you child mother... Black Dynamite. And all-star running back Ferrante Jones. Fashion model Tambula to come. William T. Michelson. Ronnie Sinatra. Little Tiny Tibbs. Juba. Bo Willie Peter. And me. That bad boo ho. Black Dynamite. Cinema for the quadrovic. Rain it all Love it.
0: Love it. Oh man.
3: Yeah, I think uh, yeah. one of the characters in that movie has the great nickname of Creamed Corn.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. I, remember, I remember that. You sure does.
3: <laughs> and, of course, who the, uh, the bad guy ends up being at the very end of it is funny, hilarious, and believable.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and-
2: yeah, that was a hilarious movie. I, I, I need to put that on the list too. I don't know why I've not seen that. Cause I sat through Undercover Brother twice. So why have I not watched Black Dynamite again? I think I know Black I'm Dynamite talking.
0: was better than the Undercover Brother. I yeah, agree with you.
2: I, I, there were certain parts of Undercover Brother that just, they tickle me to this day. Like the this, this scene where they were putting him through training to go infiltrate the whites. And they try to make him eat mayonnaise on his sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they had Dave Chappelle in there playing the uh, the Hotep, you know, black nationalist, and he was just as goofy as anything. But <laughs> he would always pop up with some one liner crap, and he had a little the little knit cap on, wearing the black the black leather jacket, like. I'm like, stop it. Just hilarious. It was funny. That was funny. But I'm I'm putting that one on my list because I like Michael J. White. He's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I can appreciate like I said, I can appreciate a spoof if you do it right. If you're and, and like I I guess that's probably why I'm not in filmmaking. There's a fine line between making it good and making it just crap and a lot of though, a lot of spoofs don't do the job very well. But That's you right. know, movies like Sucker and apparently Black Dynamite are really, really good at. It. I don't Brother was so so. There was some, there were some spots in there. That's one of the so so ones. But I will mm-hmm. mention, while not necessarily a spoof, it did involve some elements of the kind of tropes that were seen during black exploitation movies, and it's Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. Which oh, yeah. is uh Robert Townsend's first movie. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: um, he wrote, directed, and starred, and he paid for that movie out of his pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how determined he was to make that movie. And it's about Robert Townsend plays an up and coming actor, um, you know, trying to make it big. And something that his I think it's his grandmom, was his grandmom that he lived with, she would yeah. always she would always tell him, you know, there's work at the post office. He's like, nah, nah, nah. I'm going to make it big in Hollywood. I'm going to break out and I'm going to do this, that. And the third, what he kept running into were offers for roles that were all these stereotypical tropes. Like hmm, gangsters and and pimps and butlers. So there's a little, and he would like do, you know, the the movie had a storyline, but he would do like little, like little bits during the movie. And one of them was called Black Acting School. So the, the <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> so like it, the little the scene would open up and it was like some set back in slavery days and the slaves were escaping and one of the slaves had fallen in love with I guess the daughter of the plantation owner she was escaping with him and they're crawling through the dirt trying to duck the slave catchers and then all of a sudden you hear somebody say cut Robert Townsend walks out like hi welcome to black acting school and it was a whole <laughs> it was a whole spiel about coming to black acting school and training to get these stereotypical parts like right. slaves and butlers and drug dealers. And one of the instructors in one of the classes was a white guy, and he's showing one of the guys that's trying to audition to be a, a drug dealer how to walk ghetto.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's gen- you, know what's gen- you know what's genius about that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That was so smart to do that because, especially with the acting school. Yes. Because it's a wonder, is there acting school? Because we're only getting these kind of jobs. Yes. So that was smart for Robert Townsend and, and Keenan Ivan Waynes was a part of that too. Yes. For mm-hmm. them to come up with that concept
2: mm-hmm.
0: to make it make sense. Why we're only getting these roles? Maybe there's a school for it. Yeah. <laughs> <That's, that's-
2: laughs> Yeah. And that, yeah. that was exactly the point. Why do we always get off these roles? Why are these roles always played the same way? Yeah. And that was a clever way to explain that. And the whole, the movie as a whole, to me, that's one of the classics for me. Yeah, You know, when you were talking about, you know, black cinema, that's a classic for me. But that that particular scene right there with black and they even had like a little jingle, black acting school. And, it was, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, call now. We take all major credit cards and yeah. <laughs> hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. But that's one of the ones that kind of addresses, you know, in, in a tongue in a cheek kind of way, those kind of tropes that we were that we were seeing during that era. That's so, yep. I, I yeah, I want to put that one up in there. It's kind of like an offshoot. A it was i i just for the movie yeah. that it is i think it was well as you were
3: talking i thought of two television characters that probably owe their existence to the black exploitation genre and that would be one of the greatest DJs of all time venus flytrap from wkrp in cincinnati uh, yeah. played by tim reed <laughs> yeah. because if you go back and look at the tv show his character is completely a fish out of water for everything else but yeah. tim reed absolutely played that character brilliantly
2: yeah yep
0: brilliantly
2: tim, tim reed is a he's a top notch actor for real yeah i think yes. he
0: lives in virginia though
2: are they still here
0: i'm not sure but because you know they had the very,
2: studio here
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Very, ta- very talented very talented yeah yeah he definitely he is of the venus flytrap fly he didn't play it as um shucking and jiving as they called the back in the day mm-hmm. right you know what i'm saying he really played it he played a black guy that was a normal black guy that we would be able to identify with not mm-hmm. over exaggerating we do have everybody has that in their you know what i'm saying in their culture everybody mm-hmm. has right. that person that does the extra stuff. But no, he played that role great. He did.
3: That was the beautiful thing about that character was he was playing a character, playing a character on Mm -hmm. the show. show. Because he was just a normal dude and then they would show him DJing and then all of a sudden he was doing the, you know, the shucking and jiving like you were talking about. And then he would get done. He would turn and be like, okay, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) Because his character, if I remember correctly before he got that job as a DJ was like a first grade teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He and he had lied about his, <laughs> you know, career of being a DJ to mm-hmm. get the job. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I need to, and, I need to yeah. find somewhere that, that that's playing at. That's one of the yeah. ones I think they seriously need to be, to bring to, to streaming services because they would, that would be a welcome addition, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. And the second character um, which is the opposite side. He was a more serious serious character. It was the character of Hawk, played by Avery Bo- Brooks, which started yeah. out on Spencer for Hire. And then he had his own spin off TV series, A Man Called Hawk.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: But, um, yeah, his character was sort of the more badass shaft. I'll beat the crap out of you. But his character was always cool and measured. And yep.
2: He got yep. bullets
3: coming at him, and he's just like yeah this doesn't bother me at all <laughs>
2: <laughs> um i like avery books he's he he always has that anything you have seen him and he always has that undercurrent of of coolness and steadiness and i yeah. remember i remember when he first started on um deep, Star space Shad, nine. deep space nine Oh my gosh the fanboys lost their minds as usual but i right. I, I i like seeing those moments where we're getting black folks and other people of color stepping up in those kinds of roles. I I adore
0: it. He could have definitely played um, a new version of Blackylo because of the dictation that he had. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. You're exactly right. Well, I don't want to make you sound old, but the actor that played his son in Deep Space Nine is now the age that Avery Brooks was when they first started filming Deep Space Nine. (laughs)
2: I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) I... I, mm, that's that's so strange to 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 watch like young actors grow up and you see them like 15 years later and they grown and like posting thirst thirst pics on instagram and so you're like whoa wait what a minute yeah like if you're getting old what's going on with me wait mm-hmm. wait <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> wait a minute like i
0: can't, like, I can't unsee um George Jefferson from the 70s and watch a, an interview of Sherman Hensley, you know, after because yes. he's always that age to me yes. of George Jefferson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then when you see him, be like, oh, shoot, time has gone by.
2: Yeah. get age? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's wild. That and is- I want to say he
3: was the third George Jefferson because it started out on, what is it, all of the family. Mm-hmm. And they were the neighbors of yeah. the, all of the family. And I think he was the third Actor to play George Jefferson, but of course, he took that character and made it his own. Oh, yeah, Yeah.
2: that's iconic. And it what was was funny when I found out that, um, I can't think of her name, that's a shame. Um, the actress played his wife, she was about yeah, she's about 10 12 years older than him. Yeah, Yeah. I just read that too. Yeah, Yeah. and 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 like you couldn't tell the difference at all between the two of them. It was, Mm. I'm like, yeah. That was something else. But yeah. that that's another one. I i won't say, I won't call it exploitation, but as popular as the Jeffersons was, that you, you saw kind of like, I guess in a way, kind of twinged with something stereotypical in how George Jefferson was.
0: you talking about as far as like...
2: His behavior sometimes. Oh, and yeah. I, I think that was, for people that criticized that show, that was probably the one thing that they had the most problem with and how he depicted it. But honestly... For whatever for whatever reasons people may not like him per se, the rest of the cast held it down. They leveled it out. I love
0: him. I love George Jefferson. I just
2: he was something
0: else. It was hilarious. He was hilarious. I can understand people having a gripe. Like my mother for years did not like Good Times.
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people Good
0: Times because she said they never got out, and I just don't like
2: that show. Right. Yeah, there's something to that yeah and and like i would i would i had started seeing you know social media have like a string of time where all of a sudden people are talking about one thing and then it'll go away and everybody was all of a sudden focused on florida evans being the villain in good times yeah (laughs) Yeah. because like every time somebody tried to go out make some money like you can't do that that's illegal
0: yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm she's like, I'm
2: Gotta like, have a good villain. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, y'all. She didn't want none of her kids to end up in prison. y'all not understand this? But, but yeah, you I mean, yeah, you're right. There is something kind of depressing. They you didn't know? see the yeah. prin- they
0: didn't see the principles behind what
2: mm-hmm. what
0: um Florida Evans was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, see, that's that's what it was. And um I think my mom's point of view as far as like they never got out. And I get that. And a lot of people don't get out of their situations in real life. And sometimes media, when you watch like movies and T V is an escape. And if yeah. you see somebody get out of a situation that you currently live in, you see that there's hope. You feel that there's hope. Right. And so I think that was probably let down from my mom because I mean yeah. they came up, but she was just like it made it seem like every time they try to get out, they get right back in. And yeah. so she showed.
2: Like when um, Thelma's husband on their wedding day, right, fell and broke his ankle, and that just cost him his pro football career. Yeah. Poof, gone. Yeah. I was like, "Damn it, yeah. fuck this episode! What is this?" Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys,
3: yeah. I was going to say I think we have uh, we've gone well over an hour.
2: Okay. Okay. And I think we need
3: to. Uh, Transition to part two. Should we should we tell them what we're gonna do, so everyone yeah. want to come back next week?
2: I mean, I don't know why they don't want to come back next week automatically. Uh, I <laughs> we, want, we
3: want them to we want them to be like itchy all week, waiting for waiting for this.
2: Guys, listening, friends, ladies and gents, animal, vegetable, minerals.
0: Yeah.
2: Our part two for our next episode is a review and recap of the 1972 classic exploitation horror gem, Blackula. We've mentioned it a couple times already, but we're gonna go in depth with it. So come back to us next time to hear what we have to say about it. Yes.
3: <laughs> Part two coming next Tuesday to a podcast platform near you.
0: Peace.
2: As always. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook, under our podcast name, on Instagram, at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com, slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at servicedogproject at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of HyperFocus Podcasts.